Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Hey, it's great to see you. That wasn't so bad, was it? A little, you know, handshaking, saying hi to people. We, 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 um, those of you who are extroverts, you kind of like that. You're like, hey, I get to talk to people. Because we, you know, we read these um, studies and stuff that come out about churches. They're like, you know, people don't like the greeting time because they feel like it's fake and phony and the introverts hate it because they have to talk to people. And so if you don't like people, um, you know, sometimes it's hard, right? Because you come in, sit there, and, and you're really happy when you don't have to talk to anybody. But then um, once in a while we said, well, let's throw a bone to the extroverts as well. And so, you know, we can't please everyone everybody all of the time, but we certainly try. Um, so I hope you're doing well. I'm, I'm walking around a little funny today because on Friday at the gym, we did a workout that was called, Oh No, My Butt. <laughs> and it delivered, actually, because the last couple days I've woken up in the morning and I've said, Oh No, My Butt. So I'm kind of hobbling around a little bit, and hopefully I won't collapse into a heap here while I'm up talking to you. If you have a Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 6, the last chapter in the book, and we're going to, so we're wrapping up our series today, and if you're not sure where that is, it's towards the back of your Bible if you have one, and then we're going to have the verses on the screen for you to follow along as well. But last week, Gabe took us through Galatians chapter 5, and I was kind of jealous because that's kind of like the fun chapter, you know, because he gets into some really crazy stuff. Like, you know, we talk about circumcision and how a lot of people thought that that's what you need to do in order to be righteous with God. And so Paul's so angry that they're ignoring grace that he basically says, says, look, you know, if you think circumcision is so great, then why don't you just go ahead and cut your whole member off, you know? And people are like, oh my gosh, that's in the Bible? And well, yeah, it is. It's sarcasm and everything else. And then, of course, there's the fruit of the Spirit, which is always a fun one, you know, because there's so much in there. But I kind of want to just park on that for a minute because we need to set it up so we understand what we're going to talk about today. And, and he says in, in Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he goes, basically, you can't outlaw these things. And what's so important about that is that if you want to identify someone who's really holy and spiritual, they're not going to be someone that always has the right answer. They're not always going to, they're not going to be someone who's, who's off by themselves, you know, reading the Bible in this mystical fashion and never it smiles and it's always serious, you know, people that we think of that are holy. No, if you want to be truly someone who is seen as like radiating the spirit of God, like man, that person was like so close to God, you will be known for these qualities of love and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. And I think that's a lot different than people tend to think, you know? So what's really important is that we have that kind of like on the back burner as we go through this chapter here, because the question that this chapter answers is pretty specific at the, at the outset and really has to do with the question, what do we do when we have a brother or sister in our midst who falls, what do we do when there's someone that we know who fails, who makes a bad or terrible moral decision, who basically blows it, right? 
What do we do in that kind of situation? And then how does the Spirit of God want us to act towards each other? Well, so let's start and let's look at verse 1. And it says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should kick him in the head in a spirit of self-righteousness. Oh, no, it doesn't say that. I just made that up. I see that's the NTJV. That's the new Tim Jacobs version. <laughs> I made that up. But see, you have to be careful because there's some crazy Bible translations out there and you can't always, but, but that's not actually what it says. But yet a lot of people think that's what you're supposed to do. And maybe that's happened to you. You, you fell, you had a moral lapse, and, and, and the response of the church was basically to say, get out of here. Or maybe they just distanced themselves from you, and you know, your, 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 uh, your text message, you know, you stopped getting text messages. Your phone stopped blowing up, basically. You just got ignored at best, and at worst, you got criticized and castigated. And that's a terrible thing. A lot of people think that verse is something like that's in the Bible. Well, we got you know, to toe the line around here. But that's not actually what it says. Let's read what it actually says in verse 1. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should what? Restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. Then it says, Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. And finally, bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. I mean, there's so much in there, and the challenge was, you know, the, there's this entire chapter we want to get through, and we're really going to spend a lot of time just on this, and it kind of informs the rest of the chapter, but this is so crazy, because if we look at the language, it says, if anyone is caught in a transgression, and that word, well, of course, transgression means a sin, right? It's a breaking or not meeting a moral standard, right? It's a violation of a moral law or whatever else, but the caught part's important, too, because caught means overtaken or surprised, right? So, and this is kind of hard for those of us who have more of like a justice orientation, right? We're like people that really believe like there's right is right and wrong is wrong, and we believe we have a very high level of personal responsibility, right? And this is going to be hard because what it's saying is, look, if someone gets entangled and trapped in a sin, and it almost sounds like it's not their fault, right? Like the, the, the perpetrator has become the victim, but we have to remember that while we bear responsibility for our decisions, and we do, Paul is making the point that sin is a trap that often carries consequences with it that are far beyond what the person originally thought. Because sin is a very destructive thing, and most people, when they make a, a snap decision, never thought about the third or fourth you know, order consequences that might result from their little decision. And it's far greater to the point of they could actually see what their sin would have turned into. They never would have done it in the first place. You know, like I was listening to this podcast and this guy was talking about, you know, like when should you resort to violence, you know? And he was talking about like, how, he says, how many, there, how many men in particular are in jail right now because they were hanging out at a bar one night, having a drink, and some loudmouth guy came up and, you know, made fun of them or made some kind of comment and wanting to defend their honor. You know, they said something back. Next thing you know, these guys go out in the parking lot, they get in a fight, and the guy that was originally just sitting there minding his own business throws a punch. The other guy falls on the ground, and he hits his head, and he bleeds out, and he dies. Or he goes into a coma, 
And now this dude is like on trial for manslaughter or murder or whatever else. Next thing you know, he's spending years in jail. And it's like, this guy had no idea. He just stood there minding his own business. But one snap decision carries far greater consequences than he ever could have assumed at the beginning. But that's what sin does for so many of us. And Paul is saying, before we sit there and pile on, we have to understand that sin snags us and catches us. And so you who are spiritual... You restore them gently. And that phrase, that, those two words, restore and gently, or gentleness, are, is really, really important. Because restore means to be put back in order, to put back to its former condition. It means like if you break a bone, it's, it has the idea of resetting a bone, right? But you think about it. When you, if you've ever broken a bone, and you know, right, it's really painful, and it gets like bruised and purple or whatever, when you go to the doctor, you're kind of nervous, right? Because you're like, well, what are they going to do? Like, how are they going to fix this? Because you don't want to go to the doctor that's like, all right, hold still. You know, they put a little stick in your mouth, right? You know, bite down on this thing, right? And we're going to just bang this thing back into place and reset it. You don't want to go through that, right? That's a terrible doctor. You want to, you want the kind of doctor that's going to sit down with you, and go, okay, listen, tell me what happened. Well, you know, I was, you know, I got on a skateboard, and, you know, I haven't been on one in 20 years or whatever, and then I did this, and then I, okay, well, how did you fall? Okay, let's look at this. Let's take some x-rays. Let's figure out what happened, and, and let's look at your, and I don't know anything about medicine. I'm just ma- making this up, but, um, you know, let's, let's just, like, sit down and kind of figure it out, and, and here's what we're going to do to get you back to normal. We're going to put a cast on it, and here's some medication to, to what? get you back to where you need, but to ease any amount of pain that it would be unnecessary for you. That's the kind of doctor that you want to go to. And this is the kind of thing that it says, because gentleness has to do with humility and courtesy and consideration. And, you know, at Compass, this is the kind of church we want to be. And sometimes, you know what that means? That means that we will have to hold back those who are like, righteously angry, but are expressing it wrongly. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you have a right to be angry at this person did, but you're just like so judgmental in a sense. And almost like we have to be willing sometimes to get between sometimes people who have fallen and those that just want to stand there and just throw stones at them. And that's a hard place to be in, but that's part of restoring people gently. And and if we're going to get through life together and we're going to do this church thing and you guys are going to do more than like a three or four year stint here before you get bored with us and go on to some other place and do that whole thing again and engage in new relationships and whatever, if if we're going to actually stay with each other for a long period of time and act graciously towards one another, there there will be those of us who who will make tragic decisions. And then how do we deal with that? And so he's saying, you who are spiritual, and that's code for you who get it, you put this person back together. But then he goes on to say this, and and it's really interesting, the approach, you guys, because like we have to really absorb this because most people don't think this way. He says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Now, several weeks ago, I read about the first F-35 jet crash that happened. So far, I don't think any of them has crashed. The first one crashed a few weeks ago out in South Carolina. And thankfully, the pilot ejected, and he was okay. But, you know, the plane crashed and blew up or whatever. And immediately when that happens, what do they do? They ground all of the other planes until they figure out what happened. 
It's just like standard procedure. Like, okay, we don't expect the plane to crash. If the plane crashes, we have no idea how or why it happened. We need to make sure that no one else goes up in the air until we have some kind of idea, you know, whatever. Now, wouldn't it be like the dumbest thing in the world if when, you he- when the other pilots, the F-35 pilots and the crews and whatnot, hear about the crash, they go, well, I mean, I, you know, that would never happen to us. Those guys must be a bunch of idiots, right? That pilot's probably no good. Their crew is no good. That kind of thing would never happen to us. That'd be like the dumbest thing in the world, right? You got like this multi-million dollar airplane, highly sophisticated, but you think that it's not going to happen to you because it happened to somebody else. But yet that's the same kind of attitude that oftentimes we can have. Well, it happened to that person. It would never happen to me. But what Paul's saying, hey, listen, when you see someone who's fallen into a sin, you have to look at your own life. You got to turn things around. You have to respond. And so, you know, because the idea is that if, if one plane can crash, then any plane can crash. And that's, you know, so for me, I know like when I see somebody, um, when I hear about like another pastor or whatever, and there's so many of them who have some kind of like moral failure or whatever else, um, and we, like we almost always, um, when we hear about it, we, we, we try to like bring it up, if especially, if, especially if it's somebody that we know of, and everybody and people know about it, and like we go, guys, listen, we have to re- use this as a reminder about our own lives, right? And um, so, and I'll give you an example. So for example, when we had our Global Leadership Summit, it was so frustrating to me because, because you know, we, we've put ourselves behind this thing and we're so excited and then we come to find out that, that Bill Hybels, one of the, 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 I mean, the guy that basically started the whole Global Leadership Summit, um, had had all these allegations brought against him and at first no one was sure if they were true and then the more things came out, I was like, yeah, you know, there's some real funny business going on here that's not right. And then the week of the conference, like when we were trying to get everything together and then more stuff comes out and it was like, it was so devastating, you know, and the temptation is to be so angry at those guys and the whole situation, the way they were handling it. But the other response as well is to go, listen, if a guy like that who is like so gifted and, and who is, you know, I mean, presumably walked with God or, and, you know, a highly gifted guy and whatever else and, and well-respected. If, if something like that can happen to him, I better look at my own life, you know? And so it's important that you, you know, like we call them like stand down days, right? Some of you guys are familiar with that term. So it's like when something happens, like you have a little stand down day, like let's review all of our policies and procedures. Let's review our safety. Let's review everything and make sure that we are, we are not taking unnecessary risks. And that's the posture of humility. That honestly, you guys, if, you, if we're going to, to, to be able to walk in our lives without having these moral crises that happen, or at least minimize, then that's one of the things that we have to do. So I don't walk around paranoid, but I do kind of always walk around myself, kind of like in a state of yellow alert, because I know that these days you can, you can destroy everything you've built in your life in five minutes or less. It's one text, it's one tweet, it's one post. You know, it's one pill. It's one too many drinks getting behind the wheel of a car. It's one more look you shouldn't have taken. And everything that you've, you've stood for and everything that people know you for and everything that you've built is gone. And so we know this because it's happened. But when it does happen, what are we supposed to do? Well, look at verse 2. This is what's crazy to me. Look at what it says in verse 2. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now again, to me, 
I, I learned a lot from studying this, you know, at least reading what other people had written about it, because I had always seen this a little bit differently. So first of all, what it's saying is bearing, another bur- bearing another's burdens means carrying over an indefinite period of time. This is what's crazy. It's like carrying over an indefinite period, a sustained carrying of another's oppressive and overwhelming weight that they can no longer bear on their own. And there's no time limit on it. It's like, I will help you with this for the long haul. And what it is, is it's something that you cannot carry on your own. So what hit me about this was when I would read this verse in the past, I would always assume that what the context would be like, hey, bear one another's burden. So like if something bad happens to you, or then, then you know, my job is to help you, right? If something bad happens to you, then I should come alongside to help you. So it's, it's like a, if you're the victim of something, you know, like maybe you get sick or, you know, you lose your job, then yeah, we should, we should help each other. But in context, there's another aspect of this as well that, that, It's not just like something happening to a person, but it's the consequences of the person's sin. Because we said before that sometimes sin can carry with it overwhelming consequences that the person could not have understood at the beginning. And so Paul's throwing that in there too. So as we go through this, you keep watch over yourself, and then we bear the burdens of each other, even those that are a result of decisions that the other person makes. Now that kind of raises the game on everything, doesn't it? So listen to this one guy, what he said. I thought he really captured it well. It's a little lengthy, but I I liked what he said. He said, for some, the burden is temptation and the consequences of a moral lapse. That was what we just talked about. For others, it may be a physical ailment or a mental disorder or a family crisis or lack of employment or demonic oppression or a host of other things. But no Christian is exempt from burdens. Creation itself is broken and groaning and believers groan with it. See, that's really important what he's pointing out there is I think there's this assumption and it comes from a lot of what you would call easy believism or like the kind of stuff that you see on TV, on Christian TV, where you have these revival meetings and people show up and the guy gets up there and says, hey, if you're in debt, God's going to heal you of that. All you got to do is surrender your life to Jesus or say yes to Jesus and you'll get healed of your debt and healed of your physical ailments. And so they, you come up on stage and the guy whacks you on the head and you fall backwards and all of a sudden you don't have cancer anymore. And you're like, and I was like, really? If that's the case, why don't you go down to every hospital in America and set up your shop there? Why don't you go down here to the cancer treatment place and open up your, put a little stage, a little band and do your little work there? They seem to steer clear of those places. Because the reality is, is this. You could give your life over to Jesus as an alcoholic and still be an alcoholic. And what are you going to do? And what what are the people around you going to do? You can give your life to Jesus and struggle as as a person with same-sex attraction and spend the rest of your life same-sex attracted. You could. You could, you could come to Jesus um, with a drug problem or a gambling problem. And you know, can you be healed of some of that stuff? Yes, and people are, but not everybody. Because there are some burdens that land on us 
that we carry in this life that are a result of sin and maybe a host of other things. And he's pointing this out, that as long as we're part of a broken, fallen world, that, it in, that the creation itself, as the scripture says, has like this groan, like, like, the, like it's bearing a burden itself. And all Paul is doing is acknowledging that this is a reality. And it's time that we do that, right? Rather than this kind of subtle thing, I think, that comes through, that says that if you're a Christian, your life should be fine. And it's just, he's totally shooting that um, in the foot. It, it, it's not for everybody. Some people it is. And believe me, and what's going to be hard about this for our church is that, is it because we do, if you come here, as you should, you know, on a weekly basis, and you get a steady diet of the Word of God, which we, we try to give you because that's our whole, you know, purpose when you guys gather here is we, we help train and equip you so you can go out and make disciples so you go and you carry the message because it's not us helping people find their way to God. It's us helping you help people find their way to God. So don't forget that. It's, it's a, this is an um, all-in kind of sport, right? So, but what happens is, as you come here, and you learn more, and you get closer to the Spirit of God, you're going to make different decisions in your life that, are, that otherwise th- that you would have done. And what's going to happen? You're going to reduce chaos, typically, because you're going to make wiser d- decisions. And that's going to distance you from people around you who aren't living by that same level of wisdom and Spirit-led insights. So you're going to be, your, your life should over the course of time be better, at least as it relates to the decisions that you make. Now you might have something that happens to you that you can't control. And so the problem with that is, is that sometimes what happens is there's this expectation, well, I should be growing in my life, which means I should be overcoming these massive burdens, but not every one of us can. And so we have to acknowledge that that we may have a church full of people who love Jesus and have been just as forgiven as anyone else, but who carry massive burdens that are just, according to him, basically impossible for them to bear alone. And so as he continues with this quote, he says, he says, creation itself is bro- uh, broken and groaning and believers groan with it, waiting for the final deliverance that will come only with the return of our Redeemer in glory. And that's huge, right? That's what I'm trying to say. Some of these things in your life you have to trust God with, they may never go away. And so you trust God to give you the strength. But what Paul's saying, when you see someone like that, you walk with them. You know, there are burdens out there that are not our fault. There's some burdens that, that, that are kind of like self-inflicted. And, you know, I was thinking there was like this beautiful example of, that I saw of this. And maybe because it's so, it just hit me. It was two days ago. So, so like emotionally, um, I'm still there. So I did a funeral two days ago. I don't do a lot of funerals. And I like, this one was brutal young 22-year-old woman who grew up in our student ministry here. And she, um, so a number of years back, and then she w- went on and, as an adult, and a young adult woman um, was tragically killed in a, in a car crash in North Dakota uh, earlier this month. And so we had the funeral, and um, a woman got up and shared. And so I'll try to get, I'll make sure I don't lose you in the process here because I've got several characters in the story. But basically, the, the woman who was killed um, several years ago, three years ago, had a baby. You know, it was single, outside of marriage, young, single, 
woman. Not necessarily the best situation, right? And so what she did was, rather than having an abortion, which that's definitely was a good choice that she made to go ahead and have the baby, she gave, she had the baby and then she gave the baby up to adoption to another family. And the mother of that adopted family got up to speak on her behalf at the funeral. And it was probably the most gracious expression of, um, of words and, and hope and encouragement that I've ever heard. And, and I was really blown away because I didn't know what she was going to say. And so I was kind of like introduced her to come up and, and I was kind of standing off to the side and I was listening to her and I was like, and, and so what, what she did was she, she said basically what she said about this woman. Who, see, what I love about it was she didn't, she acknowledged the elephant in the room, right? Which is she had a baby out of wedlock, which, you know, these days isn't the most, you know, taboo thing in the world. But, you know, a lot of people would have just glossed over that and whatever. But she acknowledged it. And then what she did was she said, you know what? I'm so grateful that she had the love in her heart and, and, and the courage in her heart to give up this child that she loved so much. And she said, it reminded me of God's love when he gave up his own son. And, I, and she goes, the pain that she must have gone through to hand over her child is reminiscent of the pain that the father would go through to, to, to give up his own son because he knew that what was, what was right and what was good. And I was like, whoa. Like, that's, that's a profound way to honor this woman who did something that the church would see as wrong but cast a beautiful, gracious, and restorative angle onto it. And then, you know, when we talk about burdens, and believe me, you know, a, an adopted child is not a burden. In fact, in fact, what might be a burden for a young single mom who's scared out of her mind because she's pregnant and she made one bad decision and she didn't intend to get pregnant, but that's what happens, right? So now that's like this huge thing in her life. A burden, what, becomes a blessing. And so she went on to talk about because of her bravery, she has blessed this family with this child that they get to raise. And she was saying that, that the... Um, that the resemblance of this woman that passed away that she has with the, the young child that she's now raising. And she was reminding us that, that, uh, that, that this woman resembled her father, resembled her father in heaven. And it was like so beautiful. And I was, this woman was inc incredibly articulate and insightful at this, at this funeral. But what she did was she took a tragic situation. It was tragic on so many levels, but cast a beautiful light of grace and mercy and now is, is going to be blessed by carrying this load, which again, like I said, adopted kids aren't a burden. I get that. But what I'm saying is, is she came in and she moved into a situation and is able to raise this child. And it makes me think that when we talk about bearing burdens, you know, some of us need to think about this too because there are a lot of children out there that still need really good homes. And so you talk about, like, people that make these choices, and it is kind of a sad thing, you know? I'm grateful for my brother and my sister-in-law and, the, and what, how they've gotten involved in the foster adoption whole system. And it's, I mean, it's the, I mean, you got the government involved and, like, ugh, you know, and it's, like, it's, it's difficult. But, but you know, it's something you're called to, so don't do it if you're not called to it. But that's a beautiful way of turning a situation that can so often be ugly and, and, and tragic and burdensome, right? Because of the finances that are involved and the, the dysfunctionality in the family and providing blessing, right? Turning burden into blessing. It's a beautiful thing. And some of you guys should think about doing that. 
And maybe I'll get in trouble for saying this, but I think one of the reasons why sometimes, um, and not every, not every reason, but I mean, one th- reason why God may sometimes allow a couple to not be able to have children is because they're calling them to this to help rescue tragic situations. Now, I say all this because I want to kind of level, level with you on this. And, and I, so for me, like, I have to get it clear in my head. And, and, so, and so I write it out, and it's a little lengthy, but this is what I wrote because I really think that this kind of drives home the power of what this passage is trying to say, and it's this. Living in the Spirit, in other words, if I'm going to be close to God, and if I'm going to be strong, if I'm going to obey Him, and have the fruit of the Spirit alive and well, right, that may mean for me and for us that a significant amount of our energy will be spent putting back together those who have fallen, as well as shouldering the impact that the consequences of their actions have had on them. So I want to just kind of drop that on you. That for those of you that are like, hey, you know what? Um, uh, everyone's got their own problems, man. I'm, I'm a hands-off guy. I don't want to get involved in people's issues. And I'm strong enough to deal with my own issues. And I don't ask anybody to help me with my problems. So I don't want to help anybody else with their problems. And what the Bible is basically saying is, if you are someone who's walking in the Spirit, and you've got the fruit of the Spirit in your life, love, joy, peace, everything else, that it could very well be that a significant part of your life will consist of helping those around you who are not as strong and who are not as capable or maybe who have just had to walk a much harder road than you have and maybe because of their own decisions or maybe have for no fault of their own. And so part of the reason that you have residual strength is not so that you can walk around going, look at all my residual strength but that you can actually use your residual strength to be useful in the lives of other people and carry for them what they cannot carry on their own. And it's going to suck, and it might cost you money, and it might cost you time, and I've missed opportunities, and it might be embarrassing because you've got a crazy uncle or a crazy brother-in-law who won't get out of your life, but, but, they, but they're, they mean well in a sense, and you're like, oh, right? But you walk with them. Now, I know what some of you were thinking. You're like, Tim, this sounds like enabling and codependence, and that is unhealthy and wrong. And you're right. Enabling and codependence are unhealthy things, and they're wrong. So please don't misunderstand this. What it, the idea is, it says when a brother or sister is caught in a sin, the implication is that there's some type of repentance or acknowledgement that they are caught in this sin. Believe me, I've had plenty of conversations with people where they come in and like, you know, you have, you know, one party that's done something wrong against the other party and you're like, let's have this, let's figure this out. And this person's like, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, then I, no one can help you then. If it's not your fault, if you didn't do anything wrong, if you think your life is great, then no one can help you. All we can do is just enable you, right? That's, that's not what this is talking about. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians says, look, there's this one guy that was not repenting of his sin. Paul says, turn him over to Satan. And that doesn't mean that he wants him to go to hell, but what it means is let him, let him live out the full extent of the consequences of his actions, and then maybe, hopefully, he'll come to his senses before it's too late. But you can't force someone. So don't use this, by the way, those of you that are in abusive relationships, physically abusive relationships, and you know who you are. Don't use this as, well, I guess I have to bear my abuser's burden. No, that's not what this is saying. Don't use that as an excuse because enablement and codependency are things that have fear and insecurity, right? And not faith at all. So that's not what we're talking about. These are actions that, that cause us to have to live with faith with the fruit of the Spirit. 
There's no love, joy, peace, and kindness and goodness getting knocked around or whatever by people. Mm -mm. So just understand the difference. So don't even try to go down that road with me on this one, all right? So, but here again, it says, bear one another's burdens, and then what? Therefore, fulfill the law of Christ, as opposed to what? The law of Moses. Now, here's where it all comes together, because the law of Christ, that's a really important phrase, because what he's saying is, the religion of do's and don'ts, circumcision, all the following all these rules that the other guys in the church were saying, in order to be holy, you got to follow these rules. Paul was saying, these rules have no power. And here's the problem. Religious rules do not give you the power or the energy or the motivation or the determination or the will or anything to actually really help someone in need. You only do it out of drudgery and you only do it with your eyes rolled like, well, I guess I have to do this in order to go to heaven. And that's never going to work. So Paul is saying, look, the whole law is powerless. That's why those of you that come from religions that camp on all these rules and regulations with no heart and no spirit of God, they're worthless. What, what, what really causes us to actually be effective in our relationships with people is when we fulfill the law of Christ, that means we have the, the, the spirit of God and we have the fruit of the spirit coming out, right? And so like you become like this avatar of God. For you computer geeks, I just totally made sense to you, right? An avatar, he said avatar. I'm not even sure exactly what that is, but I know what it has to do with you guys. And so... But it's like your little face, right? Like, like, that's not you, but it represents you, right? It's your avatar. It's like, and, it's the, the, you know, and you can customize it to, you, you know, put your little you know, glasses and everything else is my avatar. Well, you are God's avatar in the world. And so you've got to be radiating these things that God would do if he were here. And so you have to think of yourself that way. God, help this person. God, please help my brother. Well, he put you into the picture. Maybe you are the help. By the way, when I say this, I know I'm like, everyone goes like, wow. And it's like, by the way, I'm preaching to myself. Like some of the stuff I'm saying, I hadn't even thought of until now. I'm like, dude. <laughs> I don't even want to say some of this stuff. And you know what's amazing is like the more, the more I study this, like, I never, when I look at the Bible, and I spend time in the Word, and I prepare sermons, I don't become less gracious, I become more gracious. I don't get convicted that I'm too nice to people, I get convicted that I don't, that I'm not, you know, gracious enough, or not kind enough, or not giving enough. So, so the Bible never, like, mo I mean, I shouldn't use extremes, but the Bible, the, the effect that the Word of God has on me is not to turn me into this person that's more stern, it melts my heart because my heart on its own gets really hard and like, like crusty and stuff. And so he continues on and some of you are going, dude, he only got through the first like two verses. <laughs> We're going to be here all day. But that's why you come to the nine because you know there's a 1045. <laughs> it's got to end sometime is what you're thinking. That's what I would do if I were you. Verse 3, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Now look at verse 5, that looks like a contradiction because he just said each one has to bear his own load, but we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. What gives with that? 
There's a difference between burden and load. A burden is an unsustainable, oppressive weight that a person on their own cannot carry. The load in this case is the responsibility that only you have in your particular situation accountable to God for, right? That you're accountable to God for. So when he says each person has to carry his own load, what he's saying is stop boasting in how great you are in comparison to other people. If you want to brag about yourself, brag about your own spiritual progress from where you were and keep your eyes on yourself in that regard as it relates to how good you think you are. You, you, you walk your own journey and then you stand before God because there is kind of a, um, not to go too far into this, but there is kind of a, a in view of the return of Christ here, of the end. So when it says each one will bear his own load, you can almost add the phrase before God or on the last day when you stand before God. You will be responsible for what you were given. And part of what you were given is going to consist of how well did you engage with and help pick up the load of your brothers and sisters that they could not carry on their own. And so... It culminates then in verse nine where it says, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Whoa, now again, feed that back into the first verse of this, right? We do not give up walking with each other and fighting through some of these things and helping people that just seems like it's like, is it getting any better for them? And so then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, why is that? The reason he says that is because I think we, so are, we are so good at shooting our wounded. And we're so good at, at being harder on the people closest to us. And the reality is, is that we need to be um, caring more for those who are closest to us, because if we don't, who will? And as I said before, it's really important to, that we understand that if a person identifies with Christ, that makes them a Christian, not how good they are on the outside or how much they have it all together. This is why it says in verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So our Christians who are struggling, listen, you might wrestle with these deep wounds, but you're still a new creation. You're still a new creation. And whether or not you get it together, and you know what, everyone has a responsibility to work on ourselves, but whether or not you get it together between now and the time Jesus comes back or you die to meet him is irrelevant to your stature as a child of God. So let me set the example here for a little bit. There are some of us right now who are, if I were to flip it, because we've been talking about those of us and, and, and by the way, we're going to have times where we, we bear burdens, and there's times we're going to be burden bearers for other people. Like, we're going to bear our own burdens, right? Like, and they're going to be too much, and we have to have people come alongside us. So for a lot of us, there's seasons. And some of you may be in that season right now, where you're just like, you know, Tim, you're talking about people that have residual strength and the, the challenge to, to uh, not look down on people who have fallen, or maybe just going through a really difficult time. But the reality is that's me right now. And maybe you're in a season, maybe it's a long season, that you've got something in your life that you just feel overwhelmed by at the moment. And you walked in here today with it. 
You know, and it's almost like that dread, right? Like, you're coming in here and you hope no one asks you about it or you hope no one finds out or whatever. Maybe it's not even that shameful of a thing. Maybe it's just this overwhelming, crushing burden that you're carrying right now and you just don't know how you're going to make it through. Well, in my own way, in our own way, I'd like to just model this for a moment. And so I'm going to invite our worship team to come out and they're going to play a song. And as they do, I'd like to invite those of us who are just at a place, and it doesn't mean that you're, in, you know, have, it may not be this, it may be this horrible thing, but it may not, it may just be like right now, God, I don't know how I'm going to make it through the next few days or the next few weeks. Like, I'm stuck. I want you to know you're not alone. And I want you to know you belong here. So as they play, I want you to do something we don't normally do here. I want you to get up and I want you to come forward. And I just want you to stand here right here in the front. And then when the song is over, I'm going to pray. We as a congregation, all of us, I'm going to lead us in a prayer for you so you can know. Whatever it is, man, you're not alone. Whatever it is, there is hope. And I know it might be courageous for you to do this. No one's watching you. No one's going to be thinking, I wonder what's wrong with that person. Use this as a landmark in your own life. I remember when I've done things like this. I've gone, I just, I just need to get this out. I need to do something. I need to come forward and I just need to encounter God in this way. So as they play, just come forward and stand here. If you need prayer, if you're carrying a burden, this is your time. Those of you that are up here, I don't know what's going on, but I want you to know you're not alone. And I want you to know how high and wide and deep is the love of God. And I want you to know that you're going to be okay. God never lets you go. And that his heart overwhelms with love for you. Those of you that are still in the seats, I know one of several things about you. First of all, maybe you're new and, and you're just observing and that's, that's totally cool. That's good. I love that. Either that or maybe you just didn't want to come forward because you're a little nervous. That's okay too. Or you're okay right now and it's okay to be fine. That means you have a little bit of residual strength. And you might recognize someone in, that's in a connection group with you who's up here. Or you may know them from somewhere else. Maybe you don't know them at all. But if you have residual strength, then that means you're, you know you're at a church where there's some people right now who are just struggling. And they could use your prayer, and they could use your encouragement, and they could use a, a hand on the shoulder or a hug. That's why you come here every week, not just for you. That's why you're engaged in Connection Group, not just for you. So we can bear one another's burdens. And so as I pray on behalf of our whole church for our brothers and sisters up here, I want you to do, again, something we don't do very much, but I just want you to put your hand out towards them. Just put your hand out towards them. If you're sitting in the seats, put your hands out towards them. Let's pray together.
Father, we as Compass Church, we come to your throne humbly on behalf of our brothers and sisters whom you love and shed your blood for. We come to you today on behalf of those in whom you've put in our midst who are carrying weights right now that are just too much for them to see how they're going to be able to manage. And their spirits feel crushed. And so we acknowledge that, and God, we ask more than anything else that you would bring and rest on each heart here who is standing here, your spirit, and that he would bring a peace that passes all understanding, all natural ability, that it's supernatural peace. And that God in the darkness that they may be walking through in this moment, that they would sense your nearness and your presence, that you have not given up on them, that you, it's not over, that they are not alone. And God, we would ask that they would be blown away by your goodness and your strength and your ability to provide and your ability to sustain, but remind them by your spirit and by the voices of other people who can speak into their life over and over again that it is not by their own power that they are held together. It's not by their own power that they are saved, but it's by your power that sustains them. It's your power that holds them together. It's your power that redeems them. It's your power that carries them through each moment of the day that keeps them alive. And none of what they're going through is a mystery or a secret or a surprise to you. And like a father who loves his children, you love them. Restore these precious people and strengthen them by your mighty power. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. Thank you guys. You guys are awesome. Thank you for coming forward. Thank you for coming forward. We'll continue to pray for you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info. And we'll see you next time.